Spiritual warfare is raging all around us every single day, and we need to put on the armor of God to be ready for any battle we might find ourselves in. But many believers are not ready for the battle because they don't know how to pray in the middle of warfare. According to Ephesians chapter 6, prayer is part of the way that we fight back. So what does it actually mean to pray in expectation of spiritual warfare? What should we be praying in the heat of the battle? What should we be praying when we're heading into the battle? Let's jump into this morning's message and find out. All right, this is episode number 13 in this prayer series which, you know, is all about prayer. And today we find ourselves in this peculiar place in the prayer of Jesus that he gives his disciples. Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. Um, it says, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is going to be the foundation and the focus of everything else we're about to say. To, we're going to say this morning. I'm going to highlight it in green so you know this is the focus. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And there seems to be an awareness on the part of Jesus as he's giving this prayer to his disciples, there's an awareness that evil is present, that temptation is constantly knocking on the door. Like Cain is told in Genesis chapter 4, um, that sin is crouching at the door and its desire is to consume you. Like Peter talks about the, the devil's prowling around like a roaring lion, though he has no teeth and he can't actually inflict eternal destruction on the people of God. He's prowling around. So there is, the, in both hands, we have to hold this in balance. Spiritual warfare, the presence of evil and temptation and the enemy, it is a real and present threat, okay? That's not something to diminish or minimize or to make light of, okay? On the other hand, what we're holding is the promises of God and the fullness of what Christ has done and and our assurance of God's word and, and who Jesus is and his victory at the cross. And we hold these two in hand because while spiritual warfare is a very real thing, it is not ultimate reality. That's just a temporary present threat to our life. Um, and as we navigate life, that's just what happens in this world. But again, in the other hand, we have the assurance of God's promises, which outweighs, overshadows, and outlasts any, any dimension of spiritual warfare in our life. So when Jesus prays, why should we pray for deliverance from evil? Or when he prays, you know, deliver us from evil. Number one, we have a few questions to ask. What kind of evil is he referring to? Is he limiting evil to temptation? Or does that involve trials and, and, um, and heartache and pain and tribulation and um, the battle with the flesh and the battle with the world system? You know, why should we pray for deliverance from evil? And something I wrote down is this. We are constantly in the midst of spiritual warfare. Constantly. And I need you guys to really dial in this morning. We are constantly in the middle of spiritual warfare. Sometimes it's heightened. Sometimes we're aware of it. Sometimes we're not. Sometimes we are unknowingly under attack. But Satan and his kingdom, uh, they do not take a day off. Uh, We have the weekend. We have the Sabbath. We have days off from work and from other things. Satan and his kingdom, they don't take days off. Um, Our flesh, the world system at large, opposed to God, doesn't take a break. And so I think we... um, we understand the importance of God's word as it relates to spiritual warfare. Everyone talks about the word of God, the sword of the spirit. That's our main offensive weapon. But somehow, when it comes to this conversation, prayer gets kind of brushed to the side. And I, I'm not saying let's 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 push down the word of God and replace it with prayer. I'm saying let's have both. Let's have both. And, and prayer is a part of the way that we wage warfare. 
It's not just the word of God. It's the word of God paired with prayer. The word of God frames our prayers. The word of God guides and directs our prayers, gives us accuracy and and intention to our prayers um, and purpose behind our prayers and motivation to our prayers and language to our prayers. But prayer should not be removed in the name of, hey, the word of God is our offensive weapon. I don't think prayer is to be thought of as not our offensive weapon. It's alongside the word of God, though. Prayer is another weapon God has given us. I want to make that very clear. As we jump to Ephesians chapter 6, as we look at all these passages this morning, um, prayer is one of the weapons God has entrusted to us. And I say entrusted to us because it's not just that God has given these things to you and made available these things and said, go and swing it, go and fight. But God has entrusted this beautiful discipline, gift, and weapon of prayer to us to actually wield faithfully. And so the enemy is constantly prowling around, trying to pull us into sin, trying to pull us into worldliness, destruction, death, depression, self-hatred, hopelessness, despair, brokenness, loneliness, purposelessness, insecurity, pain, fractured relationships. But in the midst of all of this raging around us, God promises that he provides us a way out of every single trial temptation, difficulty, whatever obstacles in front of us, God promises a way through it. If indeed it doesn't end in death, and even through death, God promises a way through that. And so let me take you to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 10.13. This is what I want to show you this morning. As we talk about what, what does it mean to pray in the midst of warfare? What does it mean to pray in anticipation of spiritual warfare? Because I think that is, that is what we forget. We, our, our prayer life suddenly gets serious when we're under pressure, but when life is good, really good, we forget to pray. We forget that though there should be an awareness of and anticipation of spiritual warfare, but we don't focus on it. I want to make that very clear. Though we are aware of it, we don't focus on it as our ultimate thing. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 says this, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. What does that mean? I get overtaken by temptation all the time. Well, God is faithful, first of all. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Does God ever let us get tempted beyond our own ability? No, he does not. But with the temptation, here's what it means that you will never be tempted beyond your ability. With the temptation, God will also provide the way of escape. What does God give with every temptation that comes our way? God does not tempt, as we see in James chapter 1. God never tempts. But with whatever temptation or obstacle or trial God allows us to go through, what does he aid us with? What does he give us? He gives us a way of escape. And I'm telling you, the ability to endure, the ability to take that way of escape, the ability to get through temptation and and whatever warfare is raging in your life, the ability to get through that depends on Your decision to pray. Not just your decision to claim the promises of God and stand on his word and quote it verbatim and say, I'm quoting the KJV. I know Matthew 6 has in the KJV. It's a little different. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm all for that. But when it comes to being tempted and being under pressure, the way we get through that and the way we face that involves, but it's not limited to our decision to pray. Okay? So let me take you to James chapter 1 to show you what I mean. James says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. Well, first of all, 
You dork. God can't be tempted with evil. He doesn't tempt anyone. But what you need to recognize is this. Each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. I'm going to highlight that in orange. We are tempted by the already present desires and and um, appetites and cravings within our own flesh. The enemy just capitalizes on that. The world just capitalizes on that. Um, whatever's going on around us in the kingdom of darkness just takes advantage of that and, and pokes at that and amplifies that within us. What we do when we're tempted is we already have a present desire, appetite, craving, and that gets amplified by whatever we're watching, engaging in, whatever we're feeding ourselves, whatever we're around, that gets played upon. And then we are lured and enticed by our own inherent desire within the flesh. So desire, when it has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, gives, uh, brings forth death. So there are a few things we need to, as we navigate, what does it mean to pray? In light of spiritual warfare, do I pray only when the pressure's turned up? Do I only pr- do I pray with a sense of fear that it's coming and I know hell's going to break loose any minute and everything's going to hit the fan? Do I pray with that kind of fear and just constant terror? And do I focus on on what the enemy's doing and his strategy and his kingdom? How do we balance these things? Know this, okay? God promises that He is never the one tempting you. So we start from that premise. God is never the one directly attacking, tempting, or trying to prompt you to give in to any kind of sin. But God is the one who faithfully leads us through trials. Psalm chapter 23, he leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. However you qualify that. So through trials, through temptation, through obstacles, through difficulty, God gets glory and he gets, he benefits us and he brings out good through whatever he brings us through. Okay. Temptation comes from our own desires, though. So, part of me praying and recognizing I'm under attack, I'm in warfare, something's going on in my family, in my life, in my community, right now, presently, in this room, in my own heart, in my own mind's under attack. When you recognize that, first of all, don't attribute that to God. God is not the one behind that. That's a good starting place. Because a lot of people get hung up on this lie that God is the one doing this directly to me. And when you start from that premise, you're already one step behind. So I wanna, I wanna get you guys on the right foot and say, when we pray, know this, God is not behind what's happening to you. Though he will work out the good that comes from it, like Joseph says to his brothers, hey, y'all meant this for evil, God meant this for good. We can trust that God is over all things that come to us, but he's not the one directly doing it. There's a difference between God being sovereign and God being the one who's directly causing these things. Though he's not the cause, he sovereignly works these things out. Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, just to bring you back real quick. I want to reel us back in so that y'all don't forget. Jesus is closing out this prayer. I want you to think about this. It's not just important how Jesus starts this prayer, but the way that Jesus has structured this prayer. Jesus could have said anything. Jesus could have given the disciples any kind of prayer advice. Think of the thousands of things that Jesus could have fit in this prayer. Think of how long this prayer could have been. And the specific things Jesus chooses to put into what is typically referred to as the Lord's Prayer. He talks about praise and worship and adoration and thanksgiving. He talks about this petitioning, this requesting, this honoring, surrendering. And then how does Jesus end the prayer? Not to say like, here's the blueprint and the strict format you need to follow every time you pray. But why does Jesus intentionally end the prayer 
with this, lead us not into temptation. But Father, deliver us from evil. Deliver us. Why does Jesus end like this? That's something I want you to be thinking about as we talk about this. So the first thing we're going to tackle, okay, when it comes to praying, because we're talking about the dimension of prayer. As much as I would love to do a series on spiritual warfare and demons and sin and, and all these different gateways and doors for things to happen, we can talk about that all day. But I want to specifically hone in on prayer as it relates to spiritual warfare, as it relates to the enemy, as it relates to his strategy, as it relates to our flesh and the world that's opposed to God. First thing to know is this. We need to pray for, I'm giving you language. I'm trying to give you like language to pray. When you recognize warfare is raging on around you or, or you wake up and you sense something is going on, something is happening, or maybe you don't and you just know every day is filled with the opportunity to give into temptation and warfare is going to come. I'm going to come across it. So you're expecting it. You're not focusing on it. You're not, you know, living with the, the glasses half empty, but you know it's coming. How do we pray? Pray for this. Pray for spiritual awareness. Pray for spiritual awareness to anticipate temptation. Again, we don't want to be people that give the enemy more focus and more credit and more airtime than he's due. We don't want to be so um, hyper fixated on on spiritual warfare that we're constantly living like these, these these freaks. We don't want to be that. There's a balance. There's a balance. First Peter five eight. Okay, I'm teaching this morning. Not gonna yell a lot. You won't hear me yelling as much. Be sober minded. Be watchful. Now, while this doesn't say anything about prayer, this informs how we should approach prayer. His prayer is to be watchful. In fact, Jesus will actually tell his disciples to be watchful in prayer. So there's your connection. Be sober minded. Be watchful. What does that mean? What am I looking for? Is this like Ezekiel? He's a watchman on the tower looking out for the enemies? Kind of. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. And you and I feel that. We feel it in every dimension of our life. (laughs) The enemy is prowling around trying to ruin, disrupt, divide, destroy, take away, steal. The devil's prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Now, we can go on and talk about the suffering, resist him, firm in your faith. But I just want to start with that. Be aware of the enemy. Be aware of his strategy. Don't get sucked into the culture and lulled to sleep by the lullabies of Netflix and everything you're watching online. Don't, get, don't let the, the video games that just came out distract you and keep you from what ultimately matters. These things, we need to hold them uh, where they belong. Okay. Be sober-minded and be watchful. Be aware of the enemy and be aware of his strategy. So pray for spiritual awareness. That is something that, to be honest, I'm not, I'm not privy to praying. It's not necessarily my default. That's not the first thing I'm going to pray in the morning. And yet, that seems to be very important. Not to say it should be first. I think we should honor and thank God. And, and any, any spiritual warfare, any schemes of the devil, I should see in light of God and his promises, not the other way around. I don't want to overemphasize the, the negative aspects of this walk and, and living in this world above the promises and the beauty of who God is. I want God to be supreme in my life. Let him be preeminent. So you know when these things are out of whack and they're, they're out of balance, 
when when you have begun to diminish the promises and the word of God and you've allowed that to be overshadowed in your mind by this fear or anticipation of spiritual warfare, like there's a shadow lurking around every corner. And while there may be truth to that, you and I don't need to necessarily live like there's, I don't know, like every decision I'm making is right around the corner, there's a shadow waiting for me. Jesus is supreme, but be aware. Otherwise, you wouldn't have these passages in the scripture. You wouldn't have these warnings to be sober-minded and be watchful. They'd be like, hey, Jesus wins, live your life. But part of Jesus winning means I'm aware, not just of his victory, but of how the enemy and his kingdom are trying to distract me from his victory. It's part of the enemy's tactic. So Ephesians chapter 6, this is where we're going to really focus in on spiritual warfare a bit more. It says, finally be strong in the Lord. How? There's a question I have for you guys. How How do we be strong in the Lord? How do I just be strong in the strength of his might? Is that, is that a decision I make? Can you give me the blueprint? Show me. Give me directions. Well, verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God. How do I do that? I didn't exactly get anything in the mail when I came to know Jesus. God didn't send me a breastplate. He didn't send me a helmet. Even though Daniel has one. He didn't send me a helmet. How do I put on the whole armor of God? That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. You're telling me the devil's scheming against me? Absolutely. Be aware of it. Be ready. So what do I do? Stand against the schemes of the devil. How do I do that? Put on the armor of God. Your ability right here to stand depends on your decision to put on the whole armor of God. Which, by the way, every single thing you're going to read in these different pieces of the armor is just an attribute of Jesus. Just a characteristic of Christ. And so while there is truth to the fact that I have put on Christ in the sense that I've come to know him and trust in him and, and my identity and my, my, my core being has been shaped by the work of Christ, there's still a daily decision on my part to put on Christ, to put on the new self, to put on the whole armor of God, which is very simply going to be, hey, take on the characteristics of Jesus. Let the ways and, and the heart and the character of our Savior and our God be the, the dominating force of your life. And that's what allows you to stand against the schemes of the devil. You can't face spiritual warfare with fleshly, worldly means and weapons. So the, the character of Jesus, the ways of Jesus, the promises of God flowing through my life, me submitting to that, me embodying that, is literally me resisting and standing against the schemes of the devil. So I'm, I'm playing... I'm, I'm playing the enemy's game, right? If he's going to play a spiritual game, then I'm going to wield a spiritual weapon. I'm going to put on spiritual armor. And it's not just this, in this new age kind of way where it's like, mm, meditate hard enough and then he'll go away. Part of the, the, the armor you're going to see is going to involve prayer. Um, but I'm not getting into that quite yet. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So guess what won't work against the enemy's schemes, against the flesh's schemes, against the world's schemes, against the kingdom of darkness's schemes? Guess what won't work? Your own human scheming, your own human worldly methods won't work. We wrestle against the rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces 
of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, your only chance and your only shot is to put on the spiritual armor of God. That's literally what you've been fitted for to do battle. Go and do battle. With what? With spiritual armor. Because it's a spiritual battle with spiritual enemies. People aren't your problem. People aren't your issue. Your family members aren't your problem. They're not the enemy. People who are even fighting against God, to, they're not your enemy. The spiritual forces behind these things in people and situations are. So, first of all, have the right enemy in mind. Second of all, know that it's a spiritual battle. And third of all, actually fight in a spiritual way. And when you scroll down, we can talk about the different aspects of the armor, and I love that, but I want to focus on this. That for some reason, this is something, I'll talk for me, let's say me. For most of my life reading this verse, I just skipped right over prayer. Because the shield of faith, man, that's sick. Right, right? Gospel of peace for your feet. Putting on those six shoes. The breastplate of righteousness. I'm fitted. Belt of truth. My pants ain't falling down, right? I'm fitted. Put on the armor of God. And then pray at all times in the spirit. The sword of the spirit. That's got to be the coolest part of the armor. And then pray at all times in the spirit. And I skip over that. And I wonder if wielding the Spirit and the Word of God actually depends on this part right here. Verse 18. And you go, what do you mean? Well, I just want to envision the way that Jesus waged war in the wilderness. Yes, he stood. Being the Word of God is helpful. (laughs) That's a little cheat code. He He is the Word of God. He embodies it. He's emanating from the Father. He's kind of ahead of us. But he still stands on the scriptures. He quotes verbatim, word for word, out loud, the scriptures. And there's something about that. Why is Jesus praying in the wilderness? If you go to Matthew chapter 4, he's out there fasting, praying, being attacked. Why is he praying? I think because Ephesians 6 is being modeled by Jesus. Wield the sword of the Spirit, wield the Word of God, and it's paired with prayer. It's, it's, it's this submissive, surrendering, kind of like I, how I, I imagine Jesus standing in front of Lazarus' tomb, and everyone's behind him going, It's going to stinketh. Do not open the tomb. And Jesus goes, Father. And he starts praying in front of everyone. That, that's kind of what I envision here. Is this out loud, Jesus is saying the scriptures, but it is in submission to the Father, almost like it's a kind of prayer. When Jesus utters scripture in, in response to the enemy, it, it is directed at the enemy forcefully and aggressively. And Jesus is taking a stance. But it's also kind of like a Garden of Gethsemane scene where it's in submission to the Father. I'm going to do what you say. And it's, it's actually like a prayer going up as well. So I, I can't help but think, m- me at least, in my life, I've done a terrible job of um, emphasizing prayer in the middle of spiritual warfare. I'll run to the scriptures. I'll claim those promises of God. I'll rehearse them. I will open the literal Bible. I'll, uh, the Bible roulette. Leviticus, I think you meant Joshua. right? And then I'll just start reading. What do you have for me, God? What do you have for me? Teach me. Let your word guide me. And while I believe there's value to that, I don't believe that's the, that's the full equation. 
the word of God is sufficient to do wonderful things and great things, but part of us wielding and standing on the word of God is it involves prayer. It involves that word driving us to pray. Yesterday, I'll just give you a little, little story. There was just a sense of heaviness. You ever wake up and you've already decided the day is a wash? You haven't even gotten out of bed. Just You can tell by your mental state and the way you're responding to your environment and your, the way you're responding to waking up that it's going to be a bad one, right? I decided that. And so all day there's just this looming frustration and sense of bitterness that's aimed at everyone and no one's done anything wrong to me. There's a sense of like just just relentless, um, pointless anger. <laughs> and then there, there probably like afternoon I realized, I kind of like, I guess it really hit me. I'm right now being oppressed. There's a sense of heaviness on me that I need to do something about. At first I chalked it up to just like I need food. And then I chalked it up to I just need to exercise and get some activity on my body. I need to get active so I can get off this, get this anger off me. It didn't go away. And I said, I need some lunch. I need to do that. Nothing worked. Nothing worked. I need to read my Bible. Even spend some time in the Word. Even just was some, there was some kind of spiritual heaviness going around. Um, and even I, I could feel I need this to go away. And I finally just went, I have not prayed. So I will try praying. And I prayed and I said, God, I, I don't know what this is. I hate it. This is frustrating. I, I don't want to feel like this. There's, there's something like attacking me. Something is oppressing me. Where This came out of nowhere. And I thought it was just me having a, needing food. I thought it was me not getting enough sleep. Tried to lay down, read my Bible, did everything I knew. But I didn't pray. And you know what, God? That should have been my first response. That should have been my first response. Is to recognize I'm feeling a certain way or I'm, I'm, I'm sensing something that is not what I want. And I want you, oh God, to lift that off me. And though it took a little while, prayer is what I believe kick-started that, that, um, that process of just eliminating whatever heaviness was on me. I gotta, I gotta attribute that to prayer. Maybe part of it was sitting in the scriptures and I was just rehearsing the promises of God and nothing, nothing really was clicking. Sometimes that is the solution where it's like, oh, I just need to be reminded of the joy and the promises of God and everything he is and, and what he has for me. And oh yes, this, this lifts the heaviness. In this moment, that didn't actually do it. I think it was paired with prayer. The word of God brought a sense of liberation for me. So I wonder why praying at all times in the spirit is important. Paul does not say, hey, pray when you know you're under fire. Pray when temptation's just through the roof, baby. Pray when you sense this uh, just anger and bitterness that come, came out of nowhere, depression in you. You're hopeless and you want to end your life. Only pray when you're under pressure. Paul doesn't say that. Paul doesn't give you a specific time frame to pray. He says pray at all times. That's not a specific time frame. That's just, hey, at all times, why? You, you wonder why this is in the context of spiritual warfare. Put on the helmet of salvation. Take up the sword of the spirit. And then the only thing that has this tag on it, this, this extra qualifier, is praying. At all times. Uh, not to say that's not what he wants for the other things. But there's something about prayer that's being emphasized distinctly from the other things. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Put on the belt of truth. Put on the stand firm, withstand. Put on the armor of God. Put on the shoes of peace. Put on the, 
the, the shield of faith, all these things. There's no this right here at all times. It's not a qualifier for those things. I do think we should. I do think we should. Absolutely. But prayer seems to be distinguished in this way at least. He really wants to highlight the fact that if you're going to do anything at all times, let it be prayer. Because I, I, I am convinced that by doing so, the other things fall into place. The putting on of the helmet, the putting on of the breastplate, the putting on of the shoes of peace, the, the putting on of the, the other things that I forget. Putting on those things seems to hang on prayer. Me praying, God help me, remind me, keep me aware, show me how, let the spirit of God produce good fruit in my life, lead me. Prayer is a huge part of um, engaging in spiritual warfare properly. There's something encouraging and uplifting, not just about reading the scriptures and going, whoa, the promises of God. And, and in no way am I putting the word of God at odds with prayer and saying prayer is better. What I'm saying is both are needed. And somehow, uh, each of us at some point in our lives have overbalanced this. And we've overemphasized one above the other and we've, we've highlighted one above the other. And I'm saying, enjoy the promises and the word of God and, and rehearse that and meditate on it and think through that and claim it and stand on it. But at the same time, there's a degree of me voicing these things in thanksgiving to God, in worship to God, in, in adoration, in preparation for spiritual warfare. Just me voicing what it is that I'm meditating on and letting that guide my prayers. There's something about getting God involved in your battle that prayer actually seems to be a part of that. Not to say God's standing back like, well, he didn't ask me yet. But me Asking God for help in the middle of the battle is really needed because it at least reminds me he's involved. He's involved. So all that to say, be aware of the enemy, be aware of his strategy, pray for spiritual awareness, pray for this watchfulness and this sober mindedness. If there's anything the culture's trying to do, If there's anything the culture and the world at large is trying to do besides make you laugh with my voice crack, it's this. The enemy and the world wants to distract you from what is truly happening. It's a distraction game. It's a lullaby effect. The world wants to lull you to sleep. Look at the new Apple Vision Pro, whatever, $3,500. Look, look at what's going on in government. Look at how your car broke down. Look at all these things. Look at me, look at me, look at me. Take your eyes off him. Take your eyes off Jesus. Take your eyes off his promises. The world wants to distract you. Hey, there's no enemy going around prowling. You're fine. Let me just coddle you and let me tuck you into bed. We'll watch Netflix. Just one episode. Oh, two seasons in one night? I guess you're late for work. Now your boss is going to call you in. Let me lullaby you to sleep with all the different conveniences and entertainment that I could possibly throw at your face. And let me just numb you to the fact that you're under attack. That's a great, that's a great strategy. It's a great strategy. Fantastic. If there's anything the enemy, uh, we could, we could, we could pick up on is that the enemy actually has a fantastic strategy. God has a better one. But we're, priv we're not really like, I don't know, aware of these things. We get so bogged down by things that if we really looked at it with an eternal perspective, we'd say, this doesn't matter as much. I got to get back into line and focus on what matters.
like God clicked me back into reality. I think that's what happens is, is what we live too long with this VR headset mentality. We think this is life. No, it's not. No, no, no. This is temporary. This is not ultimate reality. This is, this is not going to last forever, right? And then we take it off for a minute and then we see what's really happening. And it's that there's an enemy really prowling around, taking people's lives, driving people to do some wild things. And he wants to suck you into that. If he's not going to make you a part of it, he wants you to at least be so afraid of it that you do nothing about God's kingdom. And I'm telling you, there's a watchfulness and an awareness that God is trying to activate in some of you, trying to really get you guys to understand and pick up your sword again. Because maybe, maybe maybe you've fallen into the religious lullaby effect of, I go to my Bible study, I go to Sunday service, I sit in the pew, I throw my money in, I go back home, I watch football, and then I repeat the week all over again. And the monotony of life, the, the comfort and convenience and the safety of my own home and, and the safety of my own, you know, habits throughout the week and the patterns I've set into motion, they, they begin to like numb me to what's really going on around me and the warfare that's just all around, all around, all around that we need to be reminded of periodically. So when I say be aware of the enemy and his strategy, I want to hold that in one hand and go, yes, yes. But even more so, if anything, I want to prioritize this, be focused on God's presence and his promises. Be focused on God's presence and his promises even more so, even more so. In fact, Peter will say this about um, four chapters before the whole watch out for the devil. He's prowling around like a little like a little kitty without teeth. Hey, prepare your minds for action. And action. Prepare your minds. Be ready for action. Highlight. Come on. Boom. And be sober-minded. Hmm. He's repeating what he said in chapter 5, but here in chapter 1. Set your hope fully on the grace of God. What does it mean to be so? So by the time we get to chapter 5 and Peter says, hey, be sober-minded, hey, be watchful, we already know what he means because in chapter 1 he defined it. Being sober-minded here, right, means preparing your mind for action. How do I do that? My mind is under attack 24-7 with anxiety, with fear, with the hypothetical scenarios that I play out in my mind with, with my children or my, my wife and, and what could happen and what might happen this week. And, and my, my, my mind is under attack constantly. Here's how you prepare your mind. Here's how you're sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be revealed when Jesus comes back. Which means what? How do you set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus. Part of that means rehearsing the promises in the word of God daily. The more your mind is, I'll tell you what, what you focus on the most will inevitably affect the way you live. What you focus on the most, what you meditate on the most, what you think about most, is going to drive the way you live. I know that's a very elementary um, idea. You guys understand that. Duh. But here's why I say this. If, if the word and the scriptures of God are the dominating force of my, in my mind, if that's what I'm mostly thinking on and meditating on and listening to and, and, and spending time studying and, and sitting with the, 
the word of God open, then the hope that results from that word uh, will begin to be more prevalent in my mind than the fear, the anxiety, the temptation, the, the, the lust, whatever it is that usually gets you. Whatever, whatever you know is your weak point, that can begin to be strengthened by just focusing more on the word of God and letting that hope resonate and echo throughout your heart and mind. Okay? Let me take you to Deuteronomy 6 and show you what I mean. This is a callback to Torah. Okay? Deuteronomy 6. Moses. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. What does Moses want to be? What does God want to be on the heart of his people? His word. His commandments, his statutes, his rules. The beautiful instruction found within the word of God. That's what he wants to be on the heart of his people. Now, I don't believe anything's changed in that regard. The word of God should have a heart level impact and we should be daily meditating on that. You shall teach them diligently. I just want to focus on this, okay? Let that be on your heart. I'm going to highlight in yellow what the Word of God should be doing in your life. Teach them diligently to your children, okay? Talk about them. Well, when? When you sit. What if I'm standing? When, when you're walking. When you lie down. I don't care what posture you're in. When you rise. When you're showering. When you're in the bathroom. Talk about, meditate on, think through the scriptures and the word of God. And let that drive you to pray. There's, there, there's some kind of effect that the word of God and prayer seem to have on each other. They play off each other. There's something about when I, uh, when somehow I become aware of the word of God. Let's say I, I wake up in the morning. It's 12 o'clock. I haven't thought a single thing about God's word. And then I throw on Superbook with my kids. or watching the Joshua story. Walls of Jericho come crashing down. Oh. The word of God is coming to mind for me for the first time today. Whoa. That there's something about that that should prompt us and drive us to actually pray. And let's say I, I pray instead. I haven't thought about the word of God all day, right? But I'm just thinking, I haven't, I'm going to pray for the food with my kids. I'm going to sit down at the table. There's a chain effect. And I just go, God, thank you for providing this food for my family. Thank you for caring for us. You are good. And then I pray. And scriptures come to mind that reinforce what it was that I was praying. Like, I know God's faithful. I know he's caretaker. I know he's the shepherd. And now, prayer has prompted me to begin meditating on scripture that the Spirit of God has brought to mind. I think these two should play off each other. Follow those, follow what it, wherever it is that your godly thoughts are taking you. You know what I mean? When you pray and scripture comes to mind, follow that. When you read the Bible and you, and you, and you feel this, this prompting and motivation to pray, follow that. And I think this is exactly why God is telling his people, because the more the word of God is a part of your life, not just a part of your education, not just a part of your, you know, morning routine, but your life. The more the word of God is is being listened to and interacted with by you. When you're walking, teach them, share them, Post them, talk about them, meditate on them, read them, listen to the scriptures, listen to a podcast, listen to a sermon. When you're walking, when you're standing up, when you're sitting down, when you're standing on your head, when the word of God is on your lips and on your mind as much as it possibly can be, watch 
how that changes the way that you approach spiritual warfare and the hope and joy and peace that begins to well up in you that the enemy is trying to rob you of and take that from you and say, you don't have hope, you have anxiety, you have confusion, you don't know what tomorrow holds, look how better they are than you, you should be jealous, you're not that far in life. And those thoughts that the enemy is trying to bombard you with, they just bounce off. They just bounce off. Be depressed, be hopeless, you'll never belong to anyone, you'll never have anyone in your life, everyone doesn't even want you, that's why you didn't go to their party. These thoughts that bombard us, you should give in, you should go to that website. Hey, no one's watching. Those thoughts begin to dissipate and they have less power the more your mind it's almost like the word of god is a shield a shield for our minds a shield for our hearts what is the enemy primarily after for the people of god he's after your heart distracting you polluting and corrupting your intentions and motives he's after your mind that you would think things and and follow those thoughts and hopefully hopefully you'd act on those bad thoughts the enemy is after the invisible aspect of the of the people of God, so that we would begin to do things that uh, flow from our bad thoughts or bad intentions. So if I could just guard my heart and mind by intentionally putting things in place in my life that make me meditate on the scriptures. Every, if, if you need to put on your phone, like your, make your screensaver the scriptures, if you need your ringtone, anytime someone calls you or texts you to be scripture, if you need to just tape it on your mirror, so the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning and go pee is the scriptures, then do it. Meditate on this. Think through it. How does this relate to Psalms? What does this reveal about God to me? Watch Superbook with your kids. Teach whatever you do know about God. Teach that to people that God has brought in your life. Bind them as a sign on your hand which emphasizes the doing. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes, which emphasizes the mind, the thinking, the engagement of the heart. You shall write them on the heart, the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Like literally? Like you literally want us to write them on the doorposts of our house and our gates? I think this is why people have scriptures on their doormats. Scriptures hanging all across their their house, on, on the walls, on paintings, outside on banners and flags. Because I, need, I want to be as I want as much of God's word as I can throughout my day. That is to your benefit. I promise you that. And then you, as you meditate on the scriptures, will be driven to pray appropriately in the middle of warfare, in in expectation of the warfare that's coming. But let me show you what David says. David, the psalmist, says some incredible things about the word of God. This should. Make us pause and go, hmm, how do I get that? How do I get that? Okay, this is what David says. And this is how we pray. We pray focused on the presence and the promises of God, but we pray aware of the enemy and his strategy. Okay? One is in awareness. The other ones are focus. God is my focus. And as I focus on him, I have a more acute awareness, proper awareness, of the enemy and his strategy and spiritual warfare raging on around me, okay? Psalm 119, verse 6. Then I shall not be put to shame having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. What is what is David saying? I'm just going to highlight in green anything that relates to how David interacts with the word of God. He fixes his eyes on God's commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. 
I will learn your righteous rules. And then what happens as a result of this is he's not put to shame. He praises God with an upright heart. God will not utterly forsake him. That's why he can confidently ask the Lord to do that because of how he's relating to God's word and commands. Now watch. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Hmm. So if you're like, I struggle with purity. I struggle with lust. I struggle with whatever temptations and weak points you have in your life. Whatever, fill in the blank, I struggle with. Okay? How do you keep your way pure? Apparently, you can cry out to God and say, God, God, God. But there's a degree of responsibility God has given to you. He's entrusted to all of us a degree of responsibility. And he goes, you can cry out to me all you want, and God will answer, and God's faithful, and God's there. But if I'm not doing my part to keep my own way pure, to guard my own way with the word of God, then why should I expect God to do the part that he says depends on me doing mine? This is how God does a lot of certain things in our life and in our world, is it's actually conditioned upon, not everything, but there are some conditional activities of God and conditional promises of God that actually hang on whether or not you and I will do what he says. And David says, I guard my way according. This is how you keep your way pure. By guarding it according to the word of God. How do I guard my own way? Apparently you need to know the scriptures. Apparently you need to meditate on the word of God. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. There's almost not a fear or anxiety, but a concern. David is concerned. I don't want to wander from your rules. Don't let me, please, please. Like, I really don't want to. And you and I could probably learn from that. We already have the tendency to wander from the the word of God ever so slightly and subtly without even knowing it. Oh, how did we get here? How did I end up murdering someone? Not not that you will, but you know what I mean? Like, it's it's a slow fade. And then people years later go, how did I get here? It's a slow fade. But you and I should learn from this and go, not just, I don't just want to be aware of my uh, tendency to wander, but God, help me do something about that. It doesn't just help me to know I have a tendency to wander. I'm a dumb sheep. But God, help me do something about it. And wherever I can have your word on my radar, wherever I can have more of your word in my life, put it there. On my doorpost, on my hands, literally, figuratively, if I got to put it all over my mirror on my phone, if I got to change some screenshots, if I got to put some different parental settings on my TV so certain things don't show up and I just see Superbook, I just want more of your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander you from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. How do we pray How do we properly engage spiritual warfare, number one? And how do we pray with spiritual warfare raging all around us? Part of this involves having your own disciplines in place, habits in place, where you actually have the word of God all a part of your life. Just everywhere you look, just as much as you can. I think that not in a legalistic way where it's like, God made me. It's to our benefit. As weird as it sounds, um, the more warning signs there are on a road, like the more that will help prevent certain things from happening. Because it, sometimes it'll take a person to see a warning 10 times and they'll be like, you know what? I am going to take it seriously. Sometimes it takes a person 
three different, you know, commercials about don't text and drive for it to really hit them and go, yeah, I needed that. I think the word of God is supposed to have that kind of lingering effect in our hearts and lives where it's not just like oh, temporarily keep me, but like long term. And then you build on that. You build on that. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. David doesn't want to sin against God. David doesn't want to wander. So he goes, I've purposely stored up your word in my heart. Let me, let me ask you something. Brothers and sisters, are you doing anything practically in your life to store up your word, store up God's word in your heart? What practices, what disciplines, what, what, what are you doing, what do you have in place to, to make this true of you? It, what, what disciplines, what, what family traditions or what values do you have within your own family and in your own life that are helping you to store up God's word in your heart? That we store a lot. You have to understand, your heart is like a storage container. Your mind is like a storage container. And sometimes we have to filter out the bad, right? And we need to really allow the good to come in and replace the bad that we've filtered out. But if anything, I want my heart, I want my life to run on His Word. Which means I need to be filling myself up as much as I can. If you only got 10 minutes of a devotional time in the morning before you head to work, then listen on the way to work in the drive. If you can't because you, you carpool with someone, all these, no, 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 no. Then you, you throw on some worship music and say, can we just listen to some music this morning? Because uh, I just don't want to hear you talk. You do whatever you can. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight. He declares, sounds like Deuteronomy 6. It's as if David is obeying what Moses said to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy 6. He's storing up God's word. He's meditating on it. He's crying out for God to teach him. He's asking for understanding and instruction. He, he's delighting in the word of God. He meditates on the precepts of God. He fixes his eyes on the ways of God. He will not forget the word of God. We get in trouble the longer we go forgetting the word of God. The longer I go throughout my day without recalling, well, what does God's word say about this? Or who is God, you know, what would God do in this situation? What does God, the longer I go throughout my day without recalling any kind of scripture, any word of God, any anything, I, it's more likely that I'm going to get into trouble. I'm going to get into trouble. So let me scroll down to verse 20. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. And you and I go, what a weirdo. Jeez, get a hobby. He does have a hobby. It's what Jesus would say is the better portion to, to Martha. Mary's chosen the better portion. Martha, you're anxious about a lot of things. And I wonder, are we anxious about a lot of things? Are we overwhelmed? Are we easily over? Are we an easy target for the enemy? Like, honestly, are we at the top of his list when it comes to, like, who's the most vulnerable? Not to, like, shame or guilt trip anyone, but to, but to honestly evaluate, like, hmm, how, how much effort do I put into meditating on the Word of God so that I'm strong to face whatever it is that comes my way? How, how much effort do I put into shielding my heart and mind? How much do I, you know, effort do I put into preparing myself for warfare? Because our, you know, question becomes, are you ready? And if you're not, man easy 
easy prey. I think it just depends on the day, honestly. Each day I'm a little different. I'm very inconsistent. I'm up and down. Psalm 121.7 says, The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. So I say all of this because this should inform how I pray. So whether I'm in the middle of warfare or whether I sense something is coming or whether something is coming that I'm unaware of, either way. I'm either going into something, I'm in something, or I'm coming out of something. But in any of those situations, I need to be praying, God, keep me from evil. Keep my life. Keep my heart and my mind meditating on your word. So here's what I, here's what I recommend. For those of you that are like practical instruction, brother, you and I, we don't just need to do our part. We need to do our part and then cover that in prayer. So when I meditate on the scripture, I go, God, seal your word in my heart. Help me to meditate all day. Like, help me to recognize my need for your word. Help me to recognize my need for your help, for your presence, for your guidance, for your spirit. And I pray you'd lead me. I pray you'd consume me. In fact, Jude one twenty four, um, the only chapter in Jude, says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his great glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. God promises that he can keep you. He can protect you. He can bring you through. He can give you endurance and strength. But we need to know how to pray. We need to pray for awareness. We need to pray for focus. We need to pray that God would settle my heart and mind on his word today. It's very important. And the second thing is this. Pray for spiritual strength. Pray for spiritual strength and self-control. Here's where things get a little tricky for me. Okay? Because I have to now look at the scripture where Jesus is going to talk about, well, not yet, but in a little bit, I have to look at how Jesus says temptation is necessary. And some people have a really difficult time, I guess, being okay with that, understanding what he really means. So I'm going to ease us in. I'm letting you know where we're going. We're going to get to that passage where Jesus says temptation is necessary but woe to the one who is the one bringing it. So in light of that, we need to pray for spiritual strength and self-control. Something shifted in my prayer life in my mid-twenties, okay? Where I stopped praying for God to take away temptation and hear me out before I get to it. And I started praying for self-control, okay? And there's a reason I'm starting here. God's strength absolutely is available God's strength is necessary, um, but God has given us access to his strength, not just via his word and his word filling us, but via prayer. Exodus 15, 2 says, the Lord is my strength and my song. So we start from this premise, any strength I have to engage in spiritual warfare is not strength of my own, it is his, which assumes what? It assumes we need to pray for that. We need to ask for that. We need to recognize, hey, I'm under attack. I'm being oppressed. My family is in the middle of warfare. There's division all over the place. Something's happening. God, we don't have the strength to fight. Would you give us that? I'm trying to give you guys language for how to pray, what to pray. God, please give me strength. Give us strength. Help us fight. 
In fact, the joy of the Lord is our strength, Nehemiah 8.10 will say. The joy of the Lord is our strength. In First Chronicles, we'll say, hey, seek the Lord. Right here. Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His presence continually. Part of seeking the strength of God is to actually seek His presence. So we're not just coming to God asking for His benefits, apart from intimacy and relationship, but benefits... The best benefits are found in the context of intimacy, in the context of relationship, in the context of cultivating a a stronger friendship with God. That's where real strength starts to increase. That's where you start to see more power, more willpower, more self-control to resist whatever it is that it is that's coming your way. Hebrews 4 says, Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, Let us hold fast our confession. For we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our, unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who in every single respect has been tempted as we are and yet without sin. Therefore, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. So in light of his priesthood, in light of his work, in light of his promises, in light of his character, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of our own need. When we have need of strength, when we have need of mercy and grace, we can confidently come to God on the basis of His Son's work and priesthood and say, God, I need help. There's warfare right now. We're under oppression. We're under attack. It is raging. I need strength. And I can confidently pray that knowing God is going to give what we need. That's I think where prayer really meets this whole spiritual warfare thing is the minute you recognize, ooh, the heat's picking up. It's getting really hot in here. Cry out to God for strength. Cry out to God for mercy and grace. The problem is that's not our initial and first response to the pressure being turned up in our life. That's not the our first I don't know, reaction to whatever it is that comes our way. Uh, Sometimes we scramble and we're like, I need something to grab onto, give me something. And it's like, well, prayer should be our first response, not our last resort. And yet, a lot of us do treat prayer like like it is a last resort. Like, I'll, I'll get through this, but... And, and you're like, I trust God. I, I know his word. I believe he will. But you haven't voiced your concern. You haven't voiced your request. You haven't voiced your need for help or, or your need for God to give you self-control. You just, God will do it. And I do believe faith is a part of this. But faith should drive you to pray. Because I believe, I ask. Because I believe, I pray. And so I, I wonder, when, when the pressure's turned up, what do you run to? Because it should be him through prayer. He's our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. I'm going to seek his strength. God's strength is available. It's found in prayer. But you got to know self-control is essentially the kind of strength we're talking about. When I say strength, and we're talking about specifically temptation, we're not just talking about strength and willpower. We're talking about sometimes it is the endurance and the self-control and the willpower to not give in to all the voices that are chattering all around us. 
give in. It'll feel good this time. It'll be different. You won't feel the way you did last time. You need this. You deserve this. You're exhausted. Have it. Reach out. It's yours. No one's going to know. All these voices that are... The way we... Sometimes you can't shut it off. And I want to speak pastorally to some of you that for many, many years of your Christian life, you've been praying for the voices to shut off. God, turn them off. Shut them down. Take them away. Make them stop. And what shifted for me in my mid-twenties was, yes, I believe God can shut them off when he dang well pleases. Yes, I believe God is sovereign over all things and he can shut them down whenever he desires. But if he's not, and I want to be open to this, if he, was, if he doesn't want to, I want to primarily be praying for self-control. And willpower and the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. If we go to Galatians 5, this is what the Spirit of God wants to produce in your life. So when you see temptation, pressure, heating up, whatever it is, I, want, I really encourage you to pray this. God, but I know our initial response is take it away. Make it stop. Silence the voices. But maybe before we get to that, it's God, give me the self-control and the willpower and the strength to endure and face and last through whatever it is if you decide not to take it away, whatever is going on around me. And secondarily, if it be your will, take these things away. But firstly, I'm going to assume I have a need at least for self-control. And I think we don't assume that. We assume God's just going to pull us out. We assume God's just going to come on in on his flying golden chariot with creatures you've never seen and just whip you out like, Eli- like Elijah. Just take you out. No more troubles. I took them all away. But God doesn't do that. Not always. Sometimes he does silence them all and you're like, it's a miracle. Sometimes he does take it all away and you're like, the temptation is just gone. Sometimes the minute someone comes to know Jesus, boom, that addiction never touches them again. But the question becomes, if he doesn't will that, what should my prayer be? If he's already said no, like to Paul, I'm not going to take away the thorn. It's going to stay there. I'm going to let that persist. Hmm. Okay, I'm going to change my prayer then. Give me the strength and the willpower to endure it. Give me the self-control to resist and not give in. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Self-control. That is not something you manufacture. That's not something you work yourself up to do. That's not something that you go and buy on Amazon. That's something that the Spirit of God produces through your life. The more you spend time investing into your relationship with God, the longer you walk with Him, the more you know Him, the more He opens your eyes to know who He is, the fruit of the Spirit is produced in your life. That's what you and I should be praying for. When spiritual warfare is going on and you're like, this is a living hell. Are there demons? I don't know what's going on. Is my family going to divide over this? Am I going to lose my son? Is this going to... And, and, and all over, depression, whatever you chalk up spiritual warfare to, okay? It's this pulling at you to draw you away from God. That's the, I'm just going to use that as, a, as the core idea of spiritual warfare. Anything that has the potential to... to it, it's trying to draw me away from God and break me down and ruin my faith, whatever it is, okay? then that can take on so many forms. In those situations, pray for self-control. God, make me aware of where I'm under attack. Make me aware of the enemy's strategy. Make me aware of more so, make me focus on your presence and your promises. 
God, give me the strength. I'm asking it through, for that through prayer. God, give me self-control to resist because I know that's part of the strength you provide. We see in 1 Timothy 1, 2 Timothy 1 rather, where Paul talks about the God giving us a spirit of what? What does God give us? A spirit of, not of fear, but of power and of love and self-control. Another translation says a sound mind, a sound mind. So what does God want to give you? What does he want to produce in your life? Well, part of that is self-control. Part of what God wants to do in your life is give you the capacity to endure. He wants to increase your ability to resist. He wants to increase the, I don't know, the, the amount of time it takes for you to finally get broken down. God wants to strengthen and fortify us. God is not just interested in pulling you out of every single difficulty and every amount of pressure you find yourself in. That's not always what happens. So I think we need to reframe how we pray. I, need, I can believe God can do that, but I shouldn't necessarily expect definitively he's going to do that. No other option. I'm going to assume no matter what, I need self-control and I need strength. In fact, 1 Thessalonians 4, it says, hey, this is the will of God. Not to reduce the will of God down to only these things, but here, here's what God wants for you. Your sanctification. What does that mean? What does that look like? What does sanctification involve? Abstaining from sexual immorality. Uh, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who don't know God. Okay? God's desire for you is to know how to exercise self-control. God wants you to come to a place in your own maturity, in your own walk, where you have the appropriate amount of knowledge and experience with God to know how to control yourself, exercise willpower, resist, turn away, run away, whatever you have to remove and to go, I know how, by the strength of God that he provides, I, in this moment, by his leading, can resist this. Spiritual warfare is not as, um, I don't know, I almost said it's not as spiritual as we'd like it to be. I'll say this, the way spiritual warfare um, will manifest and happen in your life is not always as supernatural or as spiritual as you and I think. It can be as simple as a brother and sister coming to me with a, uh, a disagreement theologically um, that has been festering in, in them and they've been hiding and it's causing a lot of bitterness in them and there's potential for us to divide and never talk to each other ever again. And in that sense, that is a kind of spiritual warfare. The enemy is trying to divide the people of God. And sometimes it is as uh, supernatural and as uh, spiritual as, as we often like to load the term, where there's demons have crept into your room found or found a doorway. Um, you've found a way to allow yourself to be under the influence of the enemy and, and, and they're capitalizing on the sinful desires already present in you. There, there's that. So there's no one way to fully capture like the one way spiritual warfare happens. It's all over the place. But it is either way, the enemy's attempt to prevent, uh, to slow down, to stop the work of God in your life, um, wherever. Just stop the work of God. And he'll suck you and I into it if he has to, and he does. First John 2, 1, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if you do, we have an advocate. Okay, so there's something about the word of God that functions in our life like this. 
it can be a, a sin preventative. Not to say it absolutely definitively stops all sin, but the more you're filled with the Word of God, the less likely you are. Now, I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying how much knowledge you have and how much data you know and how much information you've read. I'm talking how much daily you have the Word of God inside of you. you got to think of your soul and your heart like a, like a, I don't know, like your stomach. I need to daily fill that thing. So if I'm relying on yesterday's or last week's revelations or last month's time with God, I ain't going to cut it. Daily, the Word of God replenishing, refreshing, and filling me is what makes me more likely to resist and stronger to fight in the midst of warfare. Does that make sense? When I say pray for wisdom and discernment, I want to say this up front. Jesus is going to say in Matthew chapter 18, verse 7, which might frustrate some of y'all's theology. That's fine. We're learning. We're growing together. Jesus will say that temptation is necessary. So there seems to be a disagreement, some kind of at least paradox going on, where it's like, but you told me in Matthew 6 to pray, lead me not into temptation. Then you say in Matthew 18, 7, temptation is necessary. Then we'll see in, in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus was specifically intentionally led into the wilderness to be tempted. And you go, well, Jesus is different. I don't think that eliminates the idea or discounts the idea that temptation within the believer's life is an expected and even necessary experience. But nonetheless, when I said temptation is necessary, when Jesus says that, we're not saying temptation is from God. But we are saying is temptation is an opportunity for God to be glorified through him delivering us. So I want to kind of break down temptation into two categories. There is what I would say is necessary temptation, trials, um, obstacles, difficulties, troubles, tribulations, all that necessary. Then there's the unnecessary, the stuff that God actually does not desire, not that he desires for us to, but you know what I mean, along the plan of God for our life, along the way he has sovereignly allowed for the enemy or whatever to come and be an obstacle, to come and bring a temptation, to come and whatever, okay? God sovereignly allows for that. There, so along the plan of God, following him faithfully might mean, oh no, temptation, what am I doing wrong? Oh, hey, oh, you're following God. This is just a part of following him, is a testing of one's faith. It's not coming from him. He's allowed it, but he's giving you the way out and he's going to be glorified when you stand strong through it. On the other side of this is unnecessary temptation, which I would say is the result of our own stupidity, foolishness, not following God. It's outside of his will. It's what God would rather have spared us from, but we brought ourselves into it. So there seems to be in scripture, as much as I'm able to make sense of it, these two categories of temptation. It's the necessary, what is almost like a, uh, mapped into the journey along the way. And then there's the things that God said, I'd rather you avoid no, no. I'd rather you have avoided that man. Just listen to me. Come on. And so let me take you to Matthew 18 to show you what I mean. When we pray for wisdom and discernment and say, God, lead me not into temptation, deliver me from evil. This has to be our background information. Matthew 18, 7, Jesus says, woe to the world for temptation to sin. And some people have trouble with Jesus uh, condemning such and then going, but it's necessary. Ah, It's necessary, man. It is necessary that temptations come. Necessary. He doesn't, he could have said expected. He could have said uh, anything else. But he said it's necessary. But that doesn't change the fact that the person that the temptation is coming through, mm, woe to them. And then he tells us 
uh, some practical ways to, hey, you can eliminate and, and, and actually decrease temptation in your life by living wise and actually doing something about what causes you to sin and, and covering your weak spots and being smart about it. Uh, Luke chapter 20. Let me take you here for a second. This is Jesus. Uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus tells the disciples, hey, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Similar thing in Matthew chapter 6. Pray that you may not enter into temptation. Same thing in verse 46. Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray so that you may not enter into temptation. Not just praying, God, don't let us enter temptation, but through that prayer, you'd be spared from such. So there is, again, the starting point of temptation is going to be in some way, shape, or form necessary along the course of our life. But there are unnecessary sin, temptations and obstacles and difficulties that God would actually rather spare us from. And we need to learn how to pray for discernment to recognize um, good things from unhelpful things. That's part of this equation. Let me show you what I mean. Not to say like, hey, uh, pray for discernment. So when you look at temptation, you go, that's not necessary. That is necessary. And you walk towards it. I don't think you should ever be walking into temptation. That's never uh, recommended. But the idea of sometimes the way I get myself into unnecessary temptations that actually God wanted to spare me from, part of the way I get into that is because prior to to that decision of getting there, I didn't discern between a good thing and an unhelpful thing. And I chose maybe not a sinful thing, but I maybe chose an unhelpful thing, which some would say are stepping stones to sin. Let me say that again. While there are sinful things, bad things, and there are good things, honoring God, in the middle, there are these things that might, you might go, well, it's allowed. God's word doesn't say I can't. But Paul will say it doesn't mean you should. And I would say these are more likened to what Hebrews 12 talks about being weights. Let me show you what I mean. Since, therefore, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Okay. Let us lay aside every weight. Okay. That's one thing. And let's lay aside sin, which in, in that you would assume is temptation. Otherwise, how are you just laying aside sin if you're doing it? Right? So that assumes you're resisting temptation. So weight and sin is separate. They're different ideas. These are, dis- these are distinct things. We're to lay aside weights and get rid of sin, which clings so closely. And run with endurance. Run with endurance. So the Christian life can be free. You can be forgiven and still be weighed down. And you go, what do you mean? I'm forgiven. There's no sin in my life and God's not going to condemn me. I'm not saying sin is weighing you down. I'm saying weights, unhelpful weights are weighing you down. What do you mean? There are stepping stones that can lead to sin. There are situations we put ourselves in that amplify the present, already present temptations in my heart and mind, right? I can put myself in situations that are not wise because I have a certain uh, weak point that shouldn't be in that kind of a setting. So if I struggle with alcoholism, I shouldn't go to bars. Well, in faith, you should get out there and preach the gospel. I can preach the gospel even to people that go to bars in other settings and in different ways. So if you know your weakness and you purposely put yourself around people or around situations that um, are 
tugging on that weakness and trying to take advantage of that weakness, that's not wise. That's not wise. And when I say weights, I think some of us, for instance, let me just use my own personal testimony for a minute. I'm out of water. I'm thirsty. It's just going to go downhill from here. Just giving you a heads up. Um, what I noticed in, throughout my life is that struggling with certain sins, um, there were certain patterns in place that I knew would inevitably lead me to that sin. And you go, what do you mean? Let's say I stay up very late. I knew at a certain age, probably mid-20s, that staying up late made me more vulnerable and more susceptible to certain temptations. I don't need to spell it out for you. But I knew that being in that, and I'd still be like, ah, this will be different. But my willpower is depleted by, by that time of the day. I'm exhausted. I'm just, I'm just more vulnerable. Or by being in certain environments with certain people that are doing certain things, uh, like drinking alcohol. And I knew, well, just a little bit. No, just a little bit will poke at that drive and that desire within you and take advantage of that and, and make it bigger and amplify it. And so it's, it wouldn't be wise for me to do certain things that aren't sinful, but they do have a pattern of leading me to what is sinful. Like there's a, I have a record. I have a record. You know what I mean? We all have a record. And there's patterns in our life where, and I know I'm like belaboring this, but I really, some people are like, I want to make it very clear. In our lives, there are sins and there are things that lead to sin. You and I need to learn how to recognize what patterns are in my life that lead me to sin. And those weights, if it's video games for you, if it's being around certain people that just want to gossip about people in your neighborhood, if it's getting on a phone call with that one person that you know is just going to cuss you out and, and stir up things in you, and, and there are ways to approach that. If, if it's for you sitting on social media late at night, if it's for you mindlessly scrolling through TikTok after a long day at work on your couch, and you know these certain things are just, just having a beer, these certain things always seem to lead to this one sin I'm trying to kick, then get away from it. Stop putting yourself in that situation. Stop calling it faith. God can help me. If you know that's a weak point of view, that's literally testing the Lord on purpose, saying, oh, I, know, I, I know this is likely to, but let's see God flex his muscles. If God's given you wisdom to avoid certain situations and settings and people and decisions, then you use that wisdom. It's actually anti-wisdom to throw yourself out there and go, God's going to get this. He's going to help me. Arr! No, you need to exercise wisdom. You're not exercising wisdom by doing that. 1 Corinthians six twelve. let me explain a little more what I mean with the scriptures. Paul says this very clearly. All things are lawful for me. Okay? I'm going to highlight lawful in yellow. All things are lawful. Not all things are helpful. And you and I need to learn how to pray. God, when it comes to spiritual warfare, when it comes to being led into sin, when it comes to being overtaken by the pressure of my life, Help me to recognize my weak points. Please give me discernment to recognize. Like, I don't just want to recognize, well, what things lead me to sin? Help me to recognize if this decision I'm about to make is good and just a, an okay decision or if it's actually your will. Because just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. All things are lawful, Paul says. Not all things are helpful. In fact, he'll say the same thing in chapter 10. Same thing. All things are lawful. Not all things are helpful. All things are lawful. Not all things build up. And then he'll talk about, I will not be overcome by anything. Um, 
So if we're going to pray for anything when it comes to spiritual warfare, knowing, God, lead me not into temptation. I have a category of there are certain things that you're not going to take away. The thorns, the troubles, the difficulties, the temptations along the way that are coming. Some things you won't take away. Give me willpower. Give me self-control. Give me strength. Give me wisdom. Give me discernment, okay? There are certain things that I can avoid, that I need to avoid, God, give me the strength and the wisdom to navigate that and to make sure I don't go anywhere near that. It's like the, the, the foolish guy in Proverbs walking right past the prostitute's home. Now YouTube's going to flag this video because I said the P word. Right, right past the prostitute's home. And he's walking. Man. And he goes to the other side. I'm just passing her house, man. I ain't going in. And he knows she has a tendency to come out of her house and lure men in. I'm just, that's, that's the idea I'm talking about. You and I know certain times in our life, you're purposely crossing the street to get as close to sin as you possibly, you're flirting with temptation. It ain't going to lead me to it though. And you're, you're getting as close to the prostitute's door as you can. And I'm just lovingly with all the, the pastoral love I have, stop it. Pray for discernment to recognize those weak points in your life. Pray for discernment to recognize those, those stepping stones that lead you to sin. That's part of spiritual warfare is exercising discernment, using wisdom, knowing the scriptures well enough to be able to recognize these things. It's not just, God, pull me out, do a miracle, split the Red Sea. Those moments happen. That's not every situation. And we've somehow universally taken the Exodus narrative and every difficulty in my life is going to be a splitting of the Red Sea. No, it's not. Sometimes it's God giving you the strength to actually lift your staff. And sometimes it's God giving you the willpower to resist and walk away entirely. Sometimes it's God going, I want you to shh, do nothing. I'm about to split this thing. And we, there's no, God always does this one thing with your difficulties. But I'm aware of the fact that he can do certain things. He gives self-control. He gives discipline. He gives strength. He splits the Red Sea. He pulls me out entirely. He conquers the enemy. Just either way, God is a part of it. God is a part of it. This is the last thing to pray. Not just pray for discernment and pray for wisdom, but pray for God to protect your mind. Proverbs 4 tells us, keep your heart with all vigilance. And the heart and mind, I don't care how much you want to distinguish between the two, either way, it just speaks to the operation center of your life. Something is driving your life. And the source of that is your heart slash mind. You need to keep that with vigilance. Vigilance. For from it flow the springs of life. Philippians 4 will say a similar thing. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding when you pray will guard your hearts, will guard your minds in Christ Jesus. Which assumes what? My heart and my mind needs to be guarded. By what? The peace of God. Hmm? That involves me praying. That involves me asking. That involves me trusting. And that involves me thinking on and entertaining thoughts that are true, honorable, just, pure, hmm. lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. These things. Not anything. These things. And then we'll end on Proverbs 16.6. By steadfast love and faithfulness. Iniquity is atoned for. By the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. I know you guys wanted a spiritual warfare message where it's like, give me the, 
Give me the, the DL. Give me the secrets. Give me the mysteries. Show me how to fight demons. Show me how to go demon hunting. Show me how to close the doors so nothing's getting into my home. That's helpful. And someone else can teach you that. But if you don't learn how to use what God has made available to you already, His Word, prayer, relationship, meditating, recognizing what stepping stones lead you to sin, recognizing your own weak points, it's not that helpful to give you a, a, a workshop, a two-hour workshop on how to, how to beat the demons. There's more to be said about spiritual warfare, a lot more. But you need to know that prayer is a huge part of the equation. So pray for what? Pray for spiritual awareness. Pray for a greater focus on God and His promises in the middle of the battle. Pray for spiritual strength to resist and self-control and willpower. Pray for wisdom and discernment to avoid unnecessary temptation and even to help you not make bad decisions in the middle of the battle. Because guess what? When the pressure's turned up, our decision-making goes down. So we need extra help and extra wisdom when things are harder. And I just want, I want you guys to learn how when the pressure's turned up, to turn to God quicker. I want that to be your knee-jerk reaction. I want that to be like the, the doctor hitting that spot right under your knee and your leg goes flying up, kick him square in the groin. That's what I want you to do the devil, is you're kicking him square in the groin by turning straight to God. And if your knee-jerk reaction, if your default, if your first response is not prayer, ask God to help you make, make your first response prayer. No matter what, no matter what, in any situation, prayer should be your first, your first response. The first thing. Even if someone is on the ground right in front of you, dying, calling 911, getting someone here, but as you're doing so, God, you're bringing, you're inviting God to have his way. That has to be our response in any battle, in any situation. Is God, come and rest. Come and be a part of it. Come and have your way. Come and help us. Because we're weak. And we need you. We need you. Fix our internet. So, that's all I got for you guys today. Prayerfully, prayerfully seek the Lord in this. Um, and ask God to help. Just help you to be more biblically minded and more prayer centered throughout your life and throughout your it's really cool outro hey i just want to thank you for all your support and prayers that make this ministry possible and help us to accomplish our mission your support makes it possible for us to create all the free resources we have available for anyone around the world our mission is to teach people how to read the bible so they can live and teach the bible themselves so be sure to visit abovereproachministry.com for all these free resources and to support this ministry and if you're a new believer be sure to check out the new believer section on the homepage of our website and grab a copy of my book, Fruitful, while you're there. God bless.